Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Well, we are um, we're beginning a, a new series today that is going to take us uh, probably through the 1st of August. Um, so it's kind of just a little short summer series. It's a series that uh, came out uh, from the Vineyard uh, national level around March, and it felt like it was something we were supposed to do. And then uh, the way things work, typically with this church at least, is that um, we're very much behind what God is doing, and we're just trying to continue to keep up. And uh, things began to be orchestrated in such a way that uh, it just felt like, man, the more that we, the closer we got to this, uh, the more we felt like it was something the Lord really wanted to speak to us about. Um, and so we, we began a fast uh, around 30 days ago as a church, uh, specifically praying for uh, our Muslim friends and neighbors and, and brothers and sisters. And so uh, that actually ends today. And as we begin this, uh, this, this new series on how do we enter into uh, potentially divisive and um, destructive, potentially, uh, conversations with people that believe radically different than we may believe. And we feel like it's an important thing that we have to address uh, at this time uh, in our community because uh, we're living in a time that is incredibly, uh, incredibly caustic, incredibly harsh. Um, there's no such thing as agreeing to disagree. There's no such thing on just having um, just a, a, you know, a friendly debate conversation. There's so much energy and emotional uh, stress and anger wrapped up in, in the ideas that may be different than ours. And that's just radically not how we are supposed to enter uh, into those types of conversations. And so over the next several weeks, we're going we're gonna to have a few key talking points that are going to help us uh, in navigating this potential minefield. Um, and it is. It's becoming uh, even even uh, greater risk to begin to speak something that may be different than what uh, what the majority of the people around you could believe because I think both sides are, are kind of poised from a, a position of anger and fear. And so because of that, you tend to get very defensive. You, can, you tend to get very uh, aggressive even as a, as a mask for that. And so uh, our job is, as believers, as people of the kingdom of God, is to be reconcilers first and foremost. And so we want to enter into a world that's so divided, that's so... Uh, so harshly opposed to one another as reconcilers. And so we're going to talk about how, how that's in, incredibly, increasingly important and, and how we can do that. But laying the foundation of that, I think, is important before we actually enter into uh, the how-tos. It's going to be a pretty practical series. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give us some pretty tangible tools that we can take with us into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, that we can hopefully use to help diffuse the tensions around us and enter into productive conversations. I think it's very much needed. And so before we get into the tangibles over the next few weeks, I wanted to kind of talk about a few intangibles that I believe are very necessary um, to, to entering into this place where we can engage with the culture, engage with those around us uh, as Christ would. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and pray real quick. And then we'll get started. We'll jump in. Jesus, we just thank you so much. We thank you that this is your church first and foremost. And you're calling us to enter into our community, enter into our culture. 
as reconcilers. Father, I just ask that you uh, season the words that I'm about to, to say. Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts uh, to receive what you're saying to us today? Would you make it um, easy for me to preach? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we are um, wanting to, to set the framework of, of this idea. And I think before we, we get too deep into this, we have to understand who, who the enemy is. I mean, when we, when we talk about how to enter into to hard conversations and we're, we're fasting for our, our friends and family and, and neighbors who are Muslim, it may be uh, easy to assume that those are the enemy and we're trying to maybe convert them or win them over or, or do some sort of thing like that, but that's not true. We have to understand that there is actually an enemy and we, we have to know who that is and who it isn't. And, and so we have to understand, as Paul tells us pretty plainly in Ephesians uh, 6.12, and he says that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's pretty clear that whoever they are in our minds, they are not the enemy. And what the real enemy has done a very, very good job of is painted them, whoever that is, as our true enemy. He's, he's turned our hearts against our brothers and our sisters. And it's a tool that he's used uh, and he's perfected over, over the past 2,000 years. You see, his, his, his longtime home was actually in heaven. He understands that culture. He understands better than we do probably how the spiritual elements and forces work. We're not in a battle with flesh and blood. We're in a cosmic battle. And if you've signed on to this battle, then, then you are absolutely in a war. But it's cosmic. And the enemy, who's called the accuser of the brethren, knows that. He gets how that works, probably better than most of us. And so what he's done as, as, as a reaction to hearing the words on the cross that Christ has uttered, that it's finished, as a reaction to having to, to release and relinquish the authority to Christ, he, he gets a pretty clear picture of, of his demise in the end. He understands that, that typically what God wants to happen will probably happen. And so what he's decided to do in the meantime is, is lower our gaze and get us mired in conflict and controversy with our fellow man. And we've turned them into the enemies. And when we've turned them into the enemies, what we've done is we've come into an agreement with the actual enemy. And when we enter into a relational uh, situation where, where one point is good and one point is bad, then we've aligned ourselves not with the God that we want to worship, but we've aligned ourselves with the enemy. And so when we, when we align ourselves, when we come into agreement with the ways that he has of his kingdom, then what we do is we actually bring an empowerment to his ways and we actually begin to work for him as opposed for our Savior. And what we have to do is we have to begin to reorient how we are thinking. We have to begin to change how we're thinking. It's why we've been talking for the past eight weeks on the idea of transforming our mind because we've been in his world for so long and we've just, uh, we've just adopted the culture of the enemy for so long that we've now uh, began to become second nature into the hatred, uh, the villainizing, all of those things that are hallmarks of his kingdom. 
And so we have to take a step back. And before we can enter into any sort of productive conversations, we have to understand who is and who isn't our enemy. We have to understand what happens when we harbor uh, these ideas of, of hatred, of racism against religion or political uh, op- opponents to what we may believe. And when we begin to do that, when we create an us-against-them mentality, then we are actually moving into the, into the lines of the enemy. And we're beginning to empower the enemy. And so as we, as we deal with our hearts today and and in the weeks to come, we have to understand there's, there's, a, there's a lot at stake here. Because if we've, if we've aligned ourselves with the enemy in our hearts, then we're going to be working for him. And, and, and we have to understand that if, if we're working for him, then we're diametrically opposed to God. And it's just not somewhere we want to be. And we want to learn how to, to actually um, repent of that, repent of the hatred, repent of the racism, repent of of whatever it is that has crept into our hearts, we have to come back into the alignment of Scripture. And it's only until we do that can we actually begin to become the church that Jesus started. The church that Jesus began was an apostolic church. It was a church that he, he started with an apostolic mission. It's the reason that the fathers of the church uh, we're called the, the apostles and, and not the pastors. We've, we've had a different mentality of how church should look and we've made it very pastor-centric and that's great. But Jesus' church, the one that he started, was an apostolic church. And, and he would call them apostles. He would call us apostles. And an apostle was not something that he came up with. He, he borrowed the word from the culture of that day. It's a Greco-Roman word. An apostle was a, was a position in the army and their job was to go out from Rome to the conquered territories and begin to turn the culture into the same culture of Rome. And that was the job of an apostle. And he, he, he began an apostolic church because his original mandate to us, his prayer is an apostolic prayer that heaven comes to earth, that the kingdom of, of God comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And the job of the church is to not come in agreement with the enemy, but the job of the church is to come in agreement with the, with the kingdom of God, thus empowering us to see the kingdom of God come here as it is in heaven. It's an apostolic mandate that we're under, and until we understand that, we're never really going to fulfill the mission and the commission that he gave us in the beginning. It's important. It's important that we begin to see the actual purpose of what we're doing here. What we're doing here, and we've said this over and over again, is not to just be another place to hang out on Sundays. Not to just be another place that, that you get to hear preaching. I promise there's, there's far better churches than that here in Nashville. There's much better preachers. There's much better uh, facilities. All of that sort of stuff. But the mandate on our church, on the, on the Nashville Vineyard here, is that we be an apostolic church here in this city. That we began to pull the culture of, of the kingdom of God that we've seen, that we've tasted, and come into agreement with it and start to see that kingdom come here in Nashville as it is in heaven. That's the reason we exist. It's the reason we get up in the morning. And so these apostles that, that Jesus was borrowing the words for, they would go into these conquered lands, these conquered territories, and they would work tirelessly to, to, 
turn the culture into a Roman culture, so much so that the final test was that the emperor would actually go to that land. And the goal was that the emperor felt such at home and at peace in that place as he did in Rome. It's the picture, right? It's the picture of Christ returning here on earth, not into a place of calamity, but into a place that resembles so much his kingdom there that he feels at home enough here to bring his city to rest here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the ballgame. That's what we're supposed to do. And too often I think we see that the church is actually the tail of culture and not the head of culture. It's the tail, it's a reactionary group of people. It's, a, it's maybe we're even inflicting more damage than good sometimes as the church. And I believe that the reason of that is that because we're starting in a place of agreement with the enemy, fundamentally. And we've allowed the enemy to change our mind and our focus and our hearts and sets it towards our fellow man as opposed to towards the actual cosmic enemy. And when we've done that, we've, we've given him all the authority and power. And we're, we're, we're ineffective and it's impossible to become the change agents that we're supposed to be in the culture. Because ultimately, we're now fighting for the enemy. And so we, we have to understand before we're even able to enter into a conversation with someone who may believe drastically different than the way we believe, we have to see them for who they are. We have to repent of them as the enemy and see them instead, as Genesis tells us, of actual image bearers of God. Everyone, whether or not they've agreed to believe the way that we believe or not, bears the mark, bears the image. They were created in the image of God. You can't worship God and hate his creation. You can't, you can't do that. You can't worship God on Sunday and then go out into our, our, our offices and our schools and our classrooms and wherever on Monday and be in, in such a, 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 a disagreement, such a position of us against them that, that we, we turn our hearts against our fellow man because when we do that, we, we turn our hearts towards God because they're his creation. Whether or not they know it yet. And more than just his creation, he actually loves them. Right? John 3.16 tells us that, that he loves the world. Not just the ones that love him back. Not just the ones that have said, I agree with you but the entire world, so much so that he gave his only begotten son. And if God loves those who disagree with us, then so should we. And it's impossible for us to, to love God if we don't then love people. And so we have to begin to reorient our minds against what I believe uh, the culture is telling us, that if we, if we disagree with someone, then fundamentally, fundamentally it's because we, we disapprove of them as a person. Well, that's, that's not true so long as you really do love them. So long as you actually see them as image bearers and can then step into a conversation and, and have drastic different views and, and opinions, but it doesn't change the fact that we see them as image bearers and beloved by the Father. And if you can begin to see those that disagree with you like that, it changes the way the conversation goes. That's the thesis. That's the, that's the whole, really the whole ball of wax to this whole thing. 
is that we have to see the kingdom of God as one of honor and respect and love. And then we have to pull that here. And a culture of honor and love and respect is the seedbed for everything else in the kingdom. Laying that foundation of honor, honor without, without merit, honor without what they do, but we choose to give our honor and our respect and our love to everyone. It's something you can give away. It's what we talked about last week, that you have honor and you can give that freely. That culture of honor, I believe, is the actual seedbed that grows the rest, the rest of the kingdom because it's so foundational to who God is. We see it in Jesus, that, that Jesus came as a servant, not to be served, but to serve. We see him as he, as he washes his disciples' feet, and the same disciples who are going to abandon him, who are going to turn him in, who are going to, to become his enemy, he knows full well, and he still enters into this servant attitude where he's bending over and he's washing their feet. It's, it's the way the kingdom works. It's the way God works. And I would propose that until we enter into this situation, this, this, this culture of honor, until we begin to live from that, then I, I would say that we're not really ever going to be able to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to take a look at that over the next few weeks. We want, to, we want to try and understand how do we honor those that disagree with us? How do, we, how do we enter into a place of love and respect? And what does it look like? I think a lot of times people will tell us that we love people, or they'll say, oh, I love everyone, but their actions really seem to say otherwise. And, and words are very cheap at the moment. It's very easy to say things, to tweet things. And what we have to understand is that we have to lay a foundation that may be a long time to sow into. It may take a long time to create this culture of honor here in our lives. But when we actually get it, when we actually enter into that culture of honor, we're able then to, I believe, begin to walk into what the Lord has actually called us individually to. But not until. We have to look at Jesus. We have to see that, that when we see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us, it, it's, the, it's the propellant, it's the fuel that allows us to love our enemies. And only until we are able to grasp that truth can we enter into it. So there is um, there's a scripture uh, in Isaiah. And it's Isaiah 2.2. And so I'm going to read it. It says that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is a, a picture that was given to Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament when things did not look like this. 
It was not a peacetime picture. It was contentious. It, there, was, there was a lot of, of hatred between the tribes of Israel, between their, their enemies on the outside. And Isaiah got this picture of what it's going to look like in the last days. It's interesting, uh, and if you are here last summer, we did a series uh, going through Micah, and, and actually the Lord gave Micah the exact same picture at the exact same time to a different people of Israel. And a lot of the commentaries are say that the, the primary reason for that is because the Lord believed it so strongly, he, he wanted the message to get out, that he actually sent two prophets at one time, which almost never happens, to proclaim this word of what life here on earth is supposed to look like in the last day. And what I think, and what I think some people are beginning to think, is that, is that these last days are actually attainable for us today. I believe that this is not a pie in the sky. It's not something that, that happens maybe when, when Jesus returns uh, in the millennium or whatever you may feel about that, that, that a lot of times we push this off, this idea, this, this passage, this prophecy, we push this further out from us because it seems so unattainable. But I don't think it is that unattainable because we have a God who, who operates in the economy of the impossible. And, and that's the God that we want to align ourselves with as we move away from agreeing with the enemy. And I think that if we can grab a hold of that vision that Isaiah and Micah have for us, then we can begin to see this happen on earth as it is in heaven. I think if we have eyes to see, we can, we can see that things have, have grown to almost a boiling point in our culture, in our community. It seems like, uh, it seems like there is um, an, an ever-increasing amount of wars and rumor of wars. It seems like there's an ever-increasing amount of violence, of just atrocities that continue to happen. Uh, we, are, we are so numb to, to violence and, and tragedies that, that we, just, it's, we just accept it now as it's a part of everyday life. Hate crimes and, and terrorism is just now a part of the new normal. And we've come to, to grow and learn uh, that this is just how life is for us. And this is where we're going and this is how things work. And, and I think it's become such a level, such an extreme height. Because I believe that as the enemy can see in the spirit, as he, as he dwells in that, I believe he's seeing a, a people that are beginning to rise up. He's seeing a voice that's beginning to call out that it doesn't have to be like that. And I believe that the intensity and, and, and the, the hatred and the fear is rising to such a level because it's only because he's beginning to see a new people rise up that are ready to take forth the kingdom to the world on earth as it is in heaven. And what if we are actually in that time now? Now, a lot of people think that, that this can't happen that it's too, it's too much to happen, and, and those last days are different. But Peter at, at Pentecost, when he's addressing to people in Acts 2, and he, and he begins to stand up, and he's explaining what's happening. What, what are these people seeing right now, 2,000 plus years ago? He's explaining what they're seeing at that point, and he uses a prophecy from Joel. And in that prophecy, he says, and this is Acts 2, 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, and he said, fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel, is that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Peter is telling us pretty much unequivocally that that we're now in the last days. We have permission, I think, to move towards the the prophecies, the things that that tell us that can happen in in, in, in the last days. I believe Peter has given us permission to start working towards that. To start seeing what's happening in the last days as these days and catching hold of the vision that God has for the church to begin to be the head and not the tail. Not by force, but by serving. And the way that we're going to change the world is that we begin to wash the world's feet. We begin to honor them when they have no deserved honor. We begin to enter into a loving relationship with them when they have no reason to be loved. Because we're so enraptured and taken by the love that Christ had for us that we can't help but enter into relationships that are vastly different with us with a sense of love and respect and honor. I think that is what the Lord is calling our church and the church to be about. I think that is what we need to begin to move for and press into. And as we see violence and as we see destruction, as we see these wars and these rumors of wars, I believe we have a mandate from Christ to prophetically proclaim the promises that he's given us. To start speaking peace in a time of war. Love in a time of hatred. And as we begin to come more in agreement with what God sounds like, more in agreement with what God's heart is for for humanity, then we're going to empower that kingdom, and I believe at that point we'll begin to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we can actually ever enter into a kingdom lifestyle unless we enter into, first and foremost, a lifestyle of honor. I don't think you can do it. You can't bypass that. You can't bypass that and and jump over the honor to get towards the miracles. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think you can jump over the honor to get towards the provision or jump over the honor to get towards the favor that rests in the kingdom of God. I think that if we're going to ever see those things that we're commanded and commissioned to bring here, that we have to begin with honoring those in our lives regardless of whether or not they agree with us. We've been uh, conditioned. We've been conditioned to align ourselves with people who believe like us, who agree with us. And, and if you agree with me on 10 or 15 points, then we can be friends and we can hang out. And that's a lie. That's crazy. Because not everyone is ever going to agree with us on everything. And guess what? If we live our lives like that, then eventually we're going to find ourselves isolated and alone. And we see that all the time, don't we? We see people that are in, it's a new phrase, echo chambers. And they've only allowed themselves to be surrounded by people that agree with them. And because of that, they're so insulated from reality and so isolated from the world that they are rendered ineffective. And it's skewed our point of view. It's skewed what we believe is happening. And I think we have to repent from that. And understand that it's okay to love others radically, drastically, dramatically who believe completely differently than us. 
We're going to do that here. And, and we're not going to be quick to draw who's in and who's out. We're not, we're not going to be quick to, to draw that line in the sand. And whenever we do draw that line in the sand, it's going to be for those that are being maligned and abused, just like Christ did. And so whenever we do have to side with someone, we're going to side with the outcast. And whenever we do have to, to choose who we're going to fight for, it's going to be those that are less than. And that's who he calls us to be for. And, and because we're religious, we, we make less than, somehow we make them the poor. But your less than is probably different than my less than. And who you see as who's less than you, I'm sure is drastically different than who your neighbor sees that is less than you. But Jesus is commanding us to go to those people, those people that we see as less than us. And so we have to begin to explore this. We have to be able to be comfortable in an argument that turns into a disagreement. God doesn't need us to protect his reputation. He doesn't need us to to fight for him. I promise. He's not looking for a people that is going to go out and convert everyone. You know that we actually don't get to do that. That's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. It's Jesus who saves, and it's our job to love and serve. And that's what God is asking. That's what God is waiting for. He's waiting for people that are willing to step into that place. And it's fuzzy, it's dangerous. Because in a world of us against them, we're neither or. We're, we're called to walk in that tension of not drawing that line in the sand. Because I promise, whatever you don't love and honor, you, you won't have any authority to speak anything into that situation anyway. And whoever you're, you're not giving your honor to, whoever you're not giving your love to, you're going to have no point of authority to them because you've now switched over and began agreeing with the enemy and you've given up your authority. And he's calling us to take back the authority that Jesus has and he's given to us. And every time we side with the enemy, we just hand it over. And it's why the church now is some sort of strange, morphed reflection of the greater culture as opposed to those instilling the culture of the kingdom of God here. Which is what he's called us to. And so I think, I think for us today, I think as we, as we begin to enter into this new, this new time, this new series, I think, I think the questions that the Lord wants to ask is that what if, what if now could be the time that we could see that we could see weapons turned into peace instruments. That we could see uh, people coming to the church, to the mountain of the Lord, for wisdom and answers and revelation. What if we actually began to be leading the culture as opposed to be trailing behind? And what if we're the ones that the Lord is waiting on us, coming into alignment and agreeing with Him? You can delay a promise, you can delay a prophecy. You can delay the Lord's heart for what he has for you. We see that in the children of Israel. It took them 40 years to get 40 days because they didn't believe it. 
And I think the Lord is saying, it's time to believe me for my word. It's time to believe me for what I've spoken, and it's time to grab a hold of that so much so that you actually come into agreement with that prophetic degree that was given thousands of years ago, and you align yourself so much with that that we can actually get to work and see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. What if we're the people? What if we're the generation that actually can do this? That actually believes God so much that we take him for what he said? I think, I think it's what he's calling us to. I think it's where we are in, in time. I think if you, if you listen to some of the voices out there, that there are different times and seasons and, and, and epoch moments and eras in, in history that, that we begin to see the church and the people of God step into things. And I think this is where he's leading us as a people, us as his children, to call us to be the voice of peace in the middle of war. I believe that's what he's calling us to. And it starts with us here, me. It starts with us repenting from, from having an agreement with the enemy. And there are people in our lives that we've, we've had such a staunch agreement with the enemy that, that we've entered into a battle that we're not supposed to fight. And we've, we've been distracted. So we're going to take time today to repent. Repent of the things that we have hidden in our hearts, the things that we probably never confessed to. Repent to potentially cultural racism that we've inherited from our family. Repent from, uh, from hatred of the other side, whoever the other side is, of the people that have wronged us, the people that have hurt us. We're going to take some time and actually repent of those things too. We're going to come out of agreement with the enemy and step into agreement with God the Father. We have to. And it's terrible because we want justice. We want to win. We want to be right. But in the kingdom of God, the way that you win is actually relinquishing your control, relinquishing your right to win, relinquishing your right to be right. That's how you win in the kingdom of God. And it looks a lot like losing. And that's okay. Because if losing is what it takes to win, then I can do that. So it seems, uh, it seems impossible, which means it's probably from God. And it seems way, way too big, which means it's probably around the corner. And if we look at anything in our history, anything in the history of the scriptures, is when that happens and when those giants get too big and we actually say, let's get it, because we know that the bigger the giants, the more God's getting ready to come through. And it's going to look awesome on the other side. And there's, there's nothing more gigantic than a church of about 130 people that when we're all gathered together, which has never, ever happened, who just started here in Nashville, that maybe we could actually be the beginning of something that the Lord is wanting to do for thousands of years. It seems crazy. It seems too big. It seems like God. And I believe we're getting ready to step into a season where we're going to see some pretty incredible things happen. But before we see those things, we're going to actually have to become in agreement with who God is and what he's doing. It's the only way. So, right now, through this talk, 
the Holy Spirit has been bringing people to your mind that you hate. People to your mind that that have hurt you, that have wronged you, that you can't, maybe that's too far, I can probably get on board with this person or these people, but not that one, because of what they did. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Because it's okay to be hurt. And you were hurt. And it stings. But I promise you the only person you're hurting with your unforgiveness is yourself. It's the only one. And until we release that, we're never going to be able to be free of that. Free of that hurt. And I'm betting you that today and tomorrow the enemy is going to turn it up a couple notches on how much you shouldn't do that. But it's only because he knows what's waiting on the other side. And that unforgiveness, that pain, that hurt, I promise you that's where the Lord wants to work. That's where he wants to go. So we're, we're going to, to take some time in worship again and worship from a heart of repentance. We're going to come into the agreement that we can actually proclaim that he is a good father regardless of what the circumstances may tell us that he is and that he is perfect in all of his ways towards us even though we can't figure that out because we know that God's goodness is simple and his sovereignty is complex but we're going to proclaim and hold fast to his goodness. We're going to open communion. And as the Holy Spirit deals with us as he deals with those, those things and those areas in our lives, and as you feel led to, I would invite you to come down and, and partake in the elements of communion as a prophetic decree in those areas that we have in our lives that it is finished there for us. And that we forgive, and that we release, and that we release our agreement with the enemy and we're coming back into alignment with the Father. And today, as you take the communion elements, that will be the prophetic decree that is released throughout the cosmos. And you have just entered back into the cosmic battle to the right enemy. Because there's no better way that Christ served us than losing on the cross and losing his life and giving up his life and shedding his blood was the ultimate way to obtain the victory. And as we partake the elements of communion, we're coming back into agreement that the way up is the way down. So, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to take a little time to deal with this stuff. To start pulling it up by the roots. And over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to, to discover that there's five affirmations that we're going to learn and, and walk through. We have these, these books that we, we hope you got. If you didn't, they're in the back. And these are devotional sermon guides that are gonna, we're going to walk through over the next uh, five or six weeks. And I, I encourage you to take those home and begin to let the Lord speak to you during your quiet times with Him, the times alone with Him, as you walk with Him. Because this is going to be a process. We're not going to complete everything today, but now is the start. Next week we're going to be talking about the fact that God has all truth, but we just don't have perfect understanding of it. The week after that, we're going to talk about how being loved is as important as being right. We're going to talk about the Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. 
That where, where division is so strong that it's impossible that these two things can come back together, the Holy Spirit can actually bring unity and reconciliation in a way that we can never imagine. We're going to talk about how we can find our identity in Christ and not our belief system, not, not our theological points. And then we're going to talk about how we can choose to accept that we live in a time that's already and not yet, that it is finished, but we're on our way still, that the kingdom has come and it's still coming, and how that affects how we interact with people. And so you don't have to stand, do whatever feels comfortable. You can come here for prayer, you can stay there for prayer, however you want to do this. But we're going to just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to show us those places in our hearts, and we all have them, of those people that we're, we're harboring unforgiveness or hatred towards. And we're going to repent. And we're going to choose this day who we serve and who we're aligning ourselves with. Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much that you're kind. You're so gentle to us and towards us. That it's that kindness and gentleness that brings us to repentance. It's not the rejection. It's not the condemnation. We know those things are not from you, but it's your kindness and your goodness. That's what brings us and draws out our repentive hearts. And so I just ask that you pour out your love on us first and foremost. That you show us your kindness. You show us your gentleness. You begin to move us in such a way that we're, we can't help but become people of repentance. People, people that return from agreeing with the enemy in, in how we relate to our fellow man and turn towards how you see us and how you see those that are in our lives. These roots run deep. And we just begin to uncover those roots that happened so long ago. For some of us, they happened on the playground in intermediate school when we experienced the wrong side of bullying. And because of that, we've, we've twisted and we've, we've contorted the people like that and we've, we've held a grudge for so long. I feel like the Lord is just saying that he was there in that moment and he loved you even still. To those times that we've, we've felt the pain and the rejection, the fear, the fear of different, of being a different person than those around us, and so we've demonized those that are different from us, we repent of that. We repent of the, of, of the grudging and, and the, the hatefulness towards those that have severely hurt us and severely broken relationship and broken trust and broken our hearts. And we extend forgiveness to them in Jesus' name. We release forgiveness over those people in the name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. Put your finger on those places in our hearts and our lives that we need you that we need your supernatural repentance, supernatural ability to follow you into this place that you're leading us because we can't go there without you. Yeah. So come Holy Spirit. So I want to read a, a psalm for you, Psalm 27. This is one the Lord has given me. If we're in a cosmic battle, then we have to let him fight it for us. And we can't do it. 
So Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, when they stumble and fall, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war will break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the days of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted. Above the enemies who surround me at his tabernacle will I sacrifice. Shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away your servant in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O my God and my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I believe that's for some people today that he is calling us to wait and to relinquish control of the fight. And that if we do that, we will begin to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, which is now. And that's a word for you today. And as we begin to release this forgiveness, as we begin to to let go of our unforgiveness, we, we start to become fearful that will we ever be fought for? And this verse tells us that the Lord will fight our battles for us. And that we begin to see his goodness, even today. So Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. We just release our forgiveness right now. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Would you continue to deal with us today as we leave, tonight, tomorrow, next week, until we're able to find the roots of those that we have harbored unforgiveness towards and those that deserve the honor that we've withheld. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. So it's called hard conversations. That's why we're ending kind of heavy, I guess. I don't know. But uh, it's not fun stuff, but it's good stuff. And so it'll be good. But listen, uh, if you need prayer for anything specifically, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, if not, we'll see you in small groups. We'll see you next week. So thank you so much. And uh, you're now officially dismissed. For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.